you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Chronicles 12, we'll start at verse 23, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 23, we'll go down to 13, 3, we'll skip some verses, but we'll, we'll start at 1 Chronicles 12, verse 23. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom to him as the Lord had said. Men of Judah carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. Men of Simeon, warriors, ready for battle, 7,100. Men of Levi, 4,600, including Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, with 3,700 men. And Zadok, a brave young warrior, with 22 officers from his family. Men of Benjamin, Saul's kinsmen, 3,000, most of whom had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. Men of Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. Let's jump down to verse 38. I think you get the gist. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. The men spent three days there with David, eating and drinking for their families had supplied provisions for them. Also their neighbours from far away as Issachar, Zebulun and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle and sheep for there was joy in Israel. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. We'll stop there. This is a passage we looked at uh, two years ago, which... I'm sure is long forgotten. There's rather a depressing statistic for preachers where it is said that within 10 minutes of the sermon finishing, the people have forgotten 90 odd percent of what you've said. Well, maybe that is true. But in the preaching of God's word, there are those moments where the Holy Spirit makes something real to you and it changes your life. When I last preached from this passage, I focused on verse 32, which is probably the most well-known verse in the whole of the book of Chronicles. It says, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Among other things that the men of Issachar knew, they knew that this was the, the day when prophecy would be fulfilled. They were about to enter a season where they would see prophecy fulfilled in their lifetime. This was the season after years of waiting that David would finally become king. A prophecy and a promise he'd carried for many years from childhood. But now here was the season, this was the moment when David would actually become king of Israel. I said at the time that some of the significance of God moving us here was that we were entering a season of seeing prophecies that have been spoken over us being fulfilled. That was before Leeds City Council, not so long ago, released £600,000 to refurbish our top floor over there, which in part is an outworking of the prophetic words spoken over us by Martin Scott. He said this, 
I'm declaring to you that you're going to see finance flow into you from this city for where you are heading. And I'm declaring there will be whole projects, not partly funded by the city, but wholly funded by the city. And we in our time have seen something of that fulfilled, but there is so much more in that prophetic word yet that is to come to pass. It is interesting that back in 1999, Sharon Stone came to Leeds and she prophesied over Pastor Lionel for the church. And one of the things she said was this. The spirit of the Lord says we're going to have children in the midst of here and I'm going to use children as a door into the family. The following year, the year 2000, kids club started. And today we have children in this place seven days a week. And as you know, up until recently, we had a full-blown primary school operating here on the site. All these outworkings of God's prophetic word. And I know that I know that I know we have not seen hardly anything of what God intended. We've not seen all that God wants to do in strengthening families, reaching families, and through the ministry that we have to the children. It may be of interest to you that in September of this year, in fact, just a few weeks ago, Sharon Stone was back in Leeds and her associate, Pastor Tommy, and he prophesied over Pastor Andy, and I think Diego was there as well, for our church. And as elders, we look at these things and we weigh them up and we're just so encouraged that God keeps saying often the same things about us as a church. And they encourage us to understand and believe that God is speaking to us. He's with us. He's prophesied things. And also this prophecy encourages us to understand something of the season that we are in as a church. So I'll read you uh, some of the prophecy. It's not all of it, but it's the bulk of it. Here's what the prophetic word said. God is releasing a time of breakthrough on this church. He's releasing a time of breakthrough in their lives and upon their ministry. I just feel the spirit of the Lord say this is a unique ministry. I rejoice in the unity that you have chosen to walk in at this time. The Lord says, even as I have done this, I will pour out a double blessing. I will put cultures and mixtures round about you for the spirit of God says, I will trust you to raise up a unique and different people. But the Lord says, I have not made you a hospital just for the weak and the outcast, but I have made you ones that will raise up those from the bottom to the top. And even those at the top to even begin to influence those in other places. The Lord says, I want to touch projects you are doing. And the Lord is going to marry church and councils and community in a greater way. The Lord says the community will be open to me in a way that has not been before. And the spirit of God says, truly, I'm going to put a repairer of the breach and a restorer of the streets anointing even round about you. What I have for you is not just going to be a church vision, the Lord says. I'm going to build a city vision. And we receive this in Jesus name. We say yes to you, O Lord. I, I don't know about you, but. When it comes to prophetic words, we, we see some things fulfilled. We live with things for a long time and we've lived with words for a very long time and we've begun to see some fulfillment of that. And every now and then, God gives what I, I would call, um, I call it a cloud the size of a man's hand, you know, from Elijah in the Old Testament, seeing that cloud. And it just encouraged him to believe that what God said was coming. 
And I was thinking about or looking at this word that had been spoken, that particular phrase that says, you know, I'm going to bring the church and community and councils closer together. More is going to happen there. Yesterday, Jill Simpson sent me a press release that the council have released about the school that was on our top floor. And it says, and you will be able to make it available somewhere, it says uh, this unique project a groundbreaking project that brought together the council, the community, and the church, and see what God has done in that. That is, it is amazing, isn't it? It's just a cloud the size of a man's hand that that we know that God is on our case, and we know that He He has great things in store for us. So, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, the apostle Paul says, "A great door for effective work has opened up for me." And at the same time, he says, there are many who oppose me. Don't worry if you face a lot of opposition. It might be a sign that the enemy is scared. Don't worry about the opposition. God will take care of the opposition. Every city the Apostle Paul went into, he was opposed. Everywhere he went. In fact, he said, I know before I get there, I'm going to have opposition but Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We know that in this country at this moment, with the shifting sands of long-held norms and values, the church and Christians face some really challenging times. Nevertheless, alongside that, God has spoken. And there is for us at Bridge Community Church a great door for effective work that God has opened. And let me tell you this morning, friends, what God has opened, no man can shut. No man can withstand what God is doing. As the people in David's time, amid great opposition, pressed into what God had spoken, there are three things in this passage that I want to bring out They. They are relevant for us today. Relevant because of the days we live in. Relevant if we are to press into all that God has spoken to us. And for each principle that I pull out of this Old Testament passage, I will connect it with the New Testament. So first of all, 1 Chronicles 13 verse 2 says this. David said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of God... Let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and the Levites to come and join us. It was vital in this season. If they were going to make David king, it was vital that they united together. If David was going to become king... If the enemy was going to defeat, be defeated, they all had to be together. They all had to be united. There were some things they would have to lay aside. Some things that not that important after all, that they would just have to give way on if they were all going to unite and see David become king. This would not be easy. Just because God has spoken it doesn't always mean it will be easy. The Philistines owned so much of the land. The enemy had taken big chunks of the land. The Jebusites were in Jerusalem. They didn't even have Jerusalem. They would have to fight. They would have to press into the promise. And that's what we have to do. In the practical realm and in the spiritual realm, unity is powerful. It is powerful. In fact, it's common sense. 
If you are agreeing together, if you're going in the same direction, if you're pooling your resources, if you're aiming for the same target, it's just common sense it's going to be better. If you're trying to move a big obstacle and you tie a rope around it and you all get your hands on and you all pull together, it's common sense. It's, it's going to be easier. You're going to be more effective. You're going to have more power. But also in the spiritual realm, it is magnified. Our unity really, really matters. The truth is expressed in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity, for there the Lord commands the blessing. And this is true for the home, in our marriages, it's true in our businesses, and it's true in the church. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, when Jesus prays for you and me, think of all the things he could have prayed for for you and me. All the stuff that could have been on his prayer list. But this is what he prayed. Verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Our unity has an evangelistic dimension. Our unity says something, Jesus is telling us, to the rest of the community. To the rest of the world. Last year, one of the local councillors, two of the local councillors, came together as they do from time to time to our services. And he looked round at the end of the service and he said, How do you get all this diversity in one room? And the answer is, we have all bowed the knee to King Jesus. We share the same Heavenly Father. There is a DNA that is common to us. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means there are some things we let go. There are some things that might be important to us, but in the end, they're not worth fighting about. We let them go for the sake of his name. For the honor of his name. We work at unity because of him. Jesus repeats the same idea in John 13, 35, when he says... This is how everyone is going to know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. That's going to speak volumes to the community. And just think of the context of those words. We think, we think those words are obvious and simple and easy. No, this is Gentile and Jew in the same place, loving each other, unheard of. Not like that in the culture. This is people of different backgrounds and different ways. This is slave and free in the same church. And Jesus is saying in that mess of disagreement, of the way that it is all set up and the way that it is viewed in our culture, when you in that diversity and that potential for difficulty, when you demonstrate love for each other, Wow, it really says something to the world. I guess you are not hard to love. But the person next to you might be. Just slip them a little glance, a knowing look. Jesus says, the way we treat each other speaks volumes Sometimes louder than the words we say. So amid our diversity that we celebrate, 
Diversity that is truly wonderful. Something that God has done and is doing. But at times, in that diversity, there are bound to be some challenges. Maybe sometimes you do something and it's culturally, I don't know, doesn't, maybe it offends, I don't know. These are all things that are possible in a mix like this. Amid our differences of opinion, and there are loads of those. Amid our disagreements and fallouts, you say, Pastor, Christians don't fall out. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> you can say, oh, no, they don't, if you want. No, we won't do that. But amid our disagreements and fallouts, which happen, and in that we're no different to the world, but how we handle all of that will show people whether we belong to the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of Jesus. Whether we dance to the beat of the world's drum and the world's way and the world's reactions or the way of the Spirit. The way of something that is not of this world. Let us do as the Apostle Paul urges in Ephesians 4 verse 3. He says to the church, Let us make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let us make every effort... Paul seems to be telling us sometimes it's not easy. We have to work at it. It can take effort. Let us refuse, every one of us, to give the enemy any ground. Pastor Tommy's word to us in that prophecy said, I rejoice in the unity you have chosen to walk in. The Lord says, as I have done this, I will pour out a double blessing. Let's walk in the path of unity and let's welcome this double blessing in Jesus' name. The next point to note as we go forward in this season that we are in comes through verses 24 to 40 in our passage. If you count up the fighting men that come to David in verses 24 to 37, you will see there are 300,000 fighting men. Verse 39 says, the men spent three days with David eating and drinking for their families that supplied provisions for them. Verse 40 says, also their neighbors from far away as Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys and camels and oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle, sheep, for there was joy in Israel. Absolutely essential to go into battle, to press into the season that God was leading them into, was the need for supplies. There were some very, very challenging days ahead of them. There were some big battles with the Philistines and people who were encamped in cities and fortresses. They had no chance without the supplies. The text tells us there were plentiful supplies because the people gave and they gave with joy. And this picture throws me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 6 and 7. Where the Apostle Paul encouraging you and I to give says these words. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think God loves a miserable giver as well. I think he still loves us. 
But he really loves a cheerful giver. And we're the same, aren't we? Somebody gives something to us reluctantly. It's not the same, is it? As somebody who gives with joy. So, as I have said many times in my once a year, when I preach on money, for many pastors, preaching on giving and money is their least favorite subject. Might well be a British pastor thing, I don't know. This subject has been so badly abused by some preachers and some ministries that some people shut down the minute they hear the subject. I've heard some horror stories from some of you about some ministries and how they manipulated and said things that are just not true. And if you are a visitor this morning, uh, or if a member of the church has brought you to visit there, right now they're really, really wishing they hadn't. Because I'm going to talk about money and giving for a little bit. The truth is the Bible has a lot to say about giving and stewardship. It is a very practical subject. It is a very spiritual subject. So let me just do a bullet point walkthrough. And this is very, very practical. For David and God's people to press into the season in front of them, it was essential that the people gave. When in their history eventually came time to build the temple, it was essential that the people gave. If the people didn't give, the battle would not be won and the temple would not be built. And this is this curious tension that we have with what God has told us with his prophetic word and what he will do. And yet so often there's always something he expects us to do. We don't just sit at home and watch the television and think it's going to happen. Because God is looking for obedience. God is looking for faith. Where God has spoken and we choose to travel in that direction and we can't dot all the I's and we can't cross all the T's. God is growing something in us. He invites us to engage with what he's saying and we we can disengage and we miss out if we do. For the people of the Old Testament and the people of the New Testament, giving was a way of life. It would not be the least bit embarrassing for them. In fact, for them to not give, something would be wrong. In Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, we have the parable of the shrewd manager. It is said by most commentators, perhaps to be the most difficult parable to get your head round. This parable teaches very clearly a principle that is repeated throughout the Bible. Simply put, it teaches that everything we have comes from God. We are stewards of what he has given us. We're we're owners of nothing and stewards of everything. The parable refers to everything we have as someone else's property. So Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Verse 12. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, everything we have is God's property. And it all starts back in Genesis chapter 1, when it tells us God blessed Adam and Eve. He gave them everything. He gave them food that they, could, they would never ever manage to get through it all. He gave them a beautiful garden. He gave them rulership. He gave them dominion. And he said to them, go and do something amazing with all I've given you. They were stewards. 
They didn't own it. In fact, even literally the very breath that they were breathing, God had breathed it into them. Some have much more than others. It's not wrong to have plenty. It's not wrong to be wealthy. I pray you will be blessed in your finances in Jesus' name. I pray you'll be wealthy. I really do. But with wealth comes greater responsibility. In verse 9 of that parable, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal blessings. That's the tricky verse. This verse is easy to misunderstand. You could take it to be saying, if you use your wealth to bribe a few people in high places, you'll get into eternal dwellings, you'll get into heaven. You know, um, when you meet Peter at those pearly gates, we know from the scriptures he was a bit of a vulnerable person, a little bit up and down. He could be open to a bribe. So, you know, slip him a million or two, maybe he'll turn a blind eye and you'll get in. Well, obviously, that is not what Jesus is teaching. What Jesus is teaching here is something really to think about and something that I think is tremendously encouraging. In these words, Jesus is exhorting us to use our wealth, to use our money, to sow into his work. To enable the advancement of the gospel. And the result, Jesus says, is that one day, when you're walking those streets of gold, there will be people who will come up to you and they'll say, thank you. Thank you that you gave into that ministry. Because it was through that ministry that I came to Christ. And because of that, I'm here in heaven today. Those are the friends that Jesus is talking about. And when you sow into Bridge Community Church, there will be people in heaven who will say, thank you, I came to Splash Time. And it was through Splash Time that I found Christ. There will be people who say, I found this shop that you paid for and ran called the welcome in lincoln green and i wandered in there one thursday and i found christ there there'll be people who say to you i was in india in chandigarh i met two girls that you sent out from your church and through their ministry i came to christ that's what jesus is saying the apostle paul in 2 corinthians 9 verse 11 says that our giving will result in thanksgiving and praise, both here and now and in eternity. Let me get very, very practical for two or three minutes. Many of us here in BCC tithe. Many do more than that. So we put aside 10% of our income, and either weekly or for most of us monthly, we put that in the offering. I've, some of you are fainting at the idea of 10%. Obviously, you've not been around church a long time. Bear with me, okay. It may be you've never tithed. Well, for me, it's been a joy and a blessing. It's exciting to me to be able to have given into Bridge Street and Bridge Community Church over many years and seeing what by now must be many thousands of people all over the world helped and blessed. Perhaps a significant step for you in your faith journey for where you are right now would be to start tithing. For some of you, tithing is not a principle that you've got hold of. And your circumstances right now would make it difficult for you to jump to tithing. And I always say this 
every time I speak about finance. There's no condemnation in this. Um, we don't want people to put money into anything that means they can't buy food or they can't pay the rent or anything like that. For you, perhaps a significant step would be to start giving and give a portion of your income. You might say, well, I do give. Well, I'm challenging you to think about giving a portion of your income regularly. Not kind of a casual arrangement. And to make it a part of your worship. Honor the Lord with a portion of your income. Maybe you could take a step of faith and respond to the word of God through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 which says this. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is an act of worship. When we set aside a portion of what God has given us, and we give it back to him, we are saying so many things. We're saying thank you for what you've given me. We're saying, I trust you as my provider. We're saying so much. We're making a declaration of faith. We're saying, I trust you. We're acknowledging his lordship over our lives. And it is an act of worship as we give. Pray. Respond to God's word, not my word. Decide in your heart and start to give a regular portion of your income. There are two ways you can give into the mission work of BCC. You can give through the offering that we took earlier that comes every week. You could set up a standing order if you wish to do that. Some people do a bit of both. Some set up a standing order and some put part there and part in the offering because some people still like to give as an act of worship, so some do a bit of both. Can I be very, very practical here? If you are a UK taxpayer, if you pay tax, please, please, please join the gift aid scheme. It costs you nothing, absolutely nothing. The only hassle is you have to fill a form in. That's pretty much it. The gift aid scheme means that the government will give us money back in recovering some of the tax that you have paid. And so the gift aid scheme for BCC means that every year we get over £100,000 back from the government. Now that is amazing, isn't it? And that's because so many of you, maybe like me, many years ago, signed the gift aid form. And that's all you need to do is sign that form. And then the way it works is uh, you fill in that form and then we'll give you a number. It's your gift aid number. So when you give from then on, you just put it in an envelope. Any envelope will do. We've even got envelopes at the back of the church. You can text them. And just put that number on the envelope, then put it in the basket. That's it done. That's all you have to do. At the back of the auditorium today, two tables at either side, our finance team and our trustees, or some of our trustees will be there. You may have questions about BCC finances. We publish the accounts every year. Uh, they're on the Charity Commission's website. You can look at them. We're very open about that. But you can meet our trustees and you can ask them any questions you like about our finances. And it might be this morning that uh, you'll take time to fill in a gift aid form because you're a taxpayer and they'll help you do that. It might be that you want to fill in a standing order form and make that step of faith for you 
today, they'll help you do that. All the forms and everything is there. If we are to press in to all that God has spoken, it is essential that God's people give. It might be this morning, if God is speaking to you, especially in this, I didn't do this in the first service, it just came to me in between the service, just for some people, there is a basket on each of those tables. And it might be you want to say to God this morning, God, you have been speaking to me this long enough. Today, I choose to obey your word. And you put in maybe a token gift in that basket as an expression of something. It doesn't matter what it is. Nobody's going to be looking. Just drop it in. As a token expression that you have heard his word for you and you're saying, I'm going to honor you with a portion of my income. One of the prophetic blessings spoken over us bears reference to finance. It says this. This fellowship will be a place that gives but does not lack. I pray with all my heart that as you give, it will be your testimony that you lack nothing in Jesus' name. Finally, that wasn't too bad, was it? No. Finally, the third thing to note from our passage comes from chapter 12, verses 23 to 38. Verse 23. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn over Saul's kingdom to him as the Lord had said. Verse 25. They came ready for battle. Verse 33. They came prepared for battle. The season we are in requires a people armed and ready and prepared for battle. Are you prepared for battle? Possibly not. The verses between verse 23 and 38 tell of all the different groups that came. And it makes really impressive reading. Imagine David is stood there. He knows this is the season of the fulfillment of that word that was spoken to him by Samuel the prophet in his house when he was a boy. When the prophet looked at his brothers and didn't even consider him and God says, it's none of them. I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. Is there anybody else? Well, this is just a boy in the back garden looking after a few sheep. And God says, that's the one. I just feel prompted this morning to say, do you know what? If your family has written you off, I want to tell you this morning, God has written you in, in Jesus' name. If people have written you off, if people have put you down, if people have spoken such negative words over you, I want to tell you this morning, you're a child of the King and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's written you in, in Jesus' name. You might not be in anybody else's lineup, but you're in God's lineup in Jesus' name. The verses between 23 and 38 tell of all the different groups that came and David is there and he knows he's got this challenge. These are some, there are some serious enemies out there. And he's put out the call. Help. Let's unite together. Let's do this. Verse 30, he's watching. You can picture the sight. The men of Ephraim in the distance, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800 of them walking toward David. Wow. Verse 25, men of Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100 of them coming in his direction. But the one that really catches the eye is verse 33. The men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers, prepared for battle 
with every type of weapon. Wow, how many of you want them to turn up? 50,000 of them, the scripture says. I can imagine the dust rising in the distance. And these men, silhouetted among the sunlight as David looks out, and he can see strapped all around their body is every type of weapon imaginable. 50,000 Arnold Schwarzeneggers on their way to help him fight this battle. Perhaps your mind, along with mine, jumps to Ephesians 6, which tells us, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, you can take your stand against the schemes of the enemy. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What was that song we sung earlier? He's bigger than what you think. In verse 18 of Ephesians 6, Paul says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, the apostle says, The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They are not of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. If we are to see God's kingdom advance in increasing measure, we need to be a people prepared and ready for battle. Not asleep. Not business as usual. Not rushing around and not taking time to watch. To understand the times. To be watchmen and watchwomen who have stood in that tower. Don't let that tower be vacant. Don't let that tower be empty. Don't allow the enemy to get away with anything. Take time on a regular basis to get in that tower and pray those prayers. That demolish strongholds in Jesus' name. Put on the full armor of God. And you will stand. You will more than stand. Take up the shield of faith. Don't let those fiery darts of the enemy burn into your soul and burn into your thinking. By faith, stand on the word of God. Choose to believe the truth of God's word, not the lie of the enemy. Take up that sword of the spirit. Build your identity on what God says, not what the enemy says. You're not a waste of space. You're not a mistake. You're a child of God in Jesus' name. You're no longer a slave to fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. Lift up those songs of praise. Praise is the language of faith. When we sing, when we speak out our praise, when we offer our worship, we are making declarations. Though we can't see God through our worship, we're declaring He is. And in the time of tribulation, when it's difficult for us and we lift that voice in praise, we're saying to the enemies that are around us, He is. He's bigger than it all. He's mighty to save. When we lift up those voices of praise and worship, we make a declaration, He's King of kings, He's Lord of lords, and He's got this. He's bigger than the mountain.
He's bigger than the valley. Our God is an awesome God. And when we lift up our voices in praise and worship and adoration, we are declaring these truths. Lift up those prayers. While often it can seem not a lot is happening in prayer. I've seen this so many times over 30 odd years of ministry in my own life, in other lives, in the lives of organizations. Prayer softens hard ground. And there comes a tipping point when the breakthrough happens. And the problem is you and I don't know when that is. So we have to persevere. We have to persevere in prayer. Believing by faith. That that ground is being softened up. That hard ground is being broken up. And in Jesus' name, the tipping point comes and the breakthrough will happen. And sometimes for some people, in some situations, we've seen this in history, they don't even see the breakthrough in their lifetime. But they've been faithful and they've softened that ground to a place that the next generation sees the breakthrough in Jesus' name. I pray for that warrior spirit. I pray for you that God will give you a tenacity in prayer. You will not let go. You will not let go. Lift up those prayers. Every revival in history points to a praying people. Usually a small number. But there is not one revival in history that does not point to a group of praying people somewhere. Why don't you be that people? Next June, we are going to prayer walk every postcode in Leeds and some of the postcodes beyond where some of you live. There are 29 postcodes in Leeds and throughout June we'll take time, we'll prayer walk every one of them. And as we walk on the land, as we put our feet in those areas, we will pray, your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Your will be done in this place in Jesus' name. I pray for a warrior spirit that will set your face so hard you will say, enemy, you will have no inch of this ground in the name of Jesus. Lord, rise up something within us that believes. And we demonstrate our belief by what we do. Let me encourage you to pray for each other more than you have ever done before. Because of the season we are in, I was speaking to a couple in between the services who were doing some great things and stepping out in some areas. And they said, it's like, it's like the whole of hell is now against us. But Jesus will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. And when we step out and when we get involved and when we do these things, sometimes it can seem like the opposition goes up a, a, a level or two. I'd take that as a compliment if I was you. I'd take that as a compliment. The devil doesn't like what you're doing. And so in this season, we need to pray for each other and minister to each other more than we've ever done before. You see, I know you know this, but I'll say it. The gifts are not all in the pastors. Now we're good, but we're not that good. Now, that was worth a better response. We're good. (laughs) But we're not that good. Frail human beings, just like the rest of you, with an almighty, all-powerful God living inside of us. 
The gifts are out there among you. Gifts of healing. Right among you. Words of encouragement. God can speak through you. Prophetic words that just bring life to people and breakthrough. It's all in the body. It's among you. Let it loose. Pray for each other more than you've ever done. The Apostle James exhorts us, pray for one another. Because where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I'm right there. And where he is, it's just one touch from the king. And it changes everything. The season before us requires that like the men of Zebulun, we are armed. Prepared. Ready for battle. With every type of weapon that God has given us. The people in 1 Chronicles 12 united around a person and a cause. They united around David and the dream to make him king. We unite around great David's greatest son. We unite around the king of kings and the lord of lords. There is no greater cause on planet earth or in the universe that we can give to. There is no greater cause we can live our life for. No greater cause we can give our lives to. We live with the dream to see his kingdom come in greater measure. Where the poor are helped and the oppressed set free and prisoners released. Where people come into a relationship with the living God. We live with the dream of seeing his name held in highest honour. Throughout the city of Leeds, throughout this nation and the nations, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand together, friends. Amen. Time has gone, but I do want us to sing a last song. Is that all right, Meiji? Can we sing the one that we did earlier, our God's bigger than we think? Oh, that fits so well. I know we don't know it very well, but it does fit well. Just give me a sec, Mike. I'll, I'll come to you. Okay, so we're, we're going to sing this song. And... Um, I know some of you people can bust some moves. I'm a bit wooden. I'm a, I'm a reserved British man. But please, follow Sister D and the rest. And let's just celebrate this great truth. And maybe for some of you, a practical step of faith as you pass those tables on the way out. And let's together rise up as warriors of Christ. Okay? Okay, lead us along. Sorry, Mike.